Welcome to Do ID by Racket podcast, brought to you by In Her Name Foundation. I am Cindy Swain, your host, and this is episode number 10, How Kids Connect. Have you ever watched children playing on a playground, soccer field, shooting driveway hoops? I mean, really watched and listened? You might notice how they interact, communicate, sometimes laughing, cheering at times, disagreeing, arguing. But they're learning to take turns, make choices, communicate, learning how to win or how to lose. The one thread that weaves it all together is connection. They are usually connected and invested in what they're doing in that very moment. Kids need that opportunity to connect, to play, to laugh, be free. And the rest of us adults need to start listening and learning from them. Because I don't know about you, but I've about had enough of bad adult behavior lately. It's everywhere. At sporting events, politicians, name calling and public shaming, fighting on airplanes over assigned seats, parents arguing with referees at youth league events, and fans getting into fist fights over who wins or loses the game. As adults, we have to ask, what are we doing? And what is the message this sends to young people? Do we want this generation to grow up thinking to be mean, hurtful, petty, and manipulative is okay? I don't think so. When I grew up, there was a thing called the golden rule. Treat others as you would like to be treated. That rule usually starts when we take our very first breath as an infant. It's called attachment. It's a connection to someone that is deep, so deep it shapes our entire life. It patterns how we communicate, how we develop relationships. It helps us learn to trust. It provides safety and security and connection, a connection that we will crave our entire lives. As we age, we go from that safety and predictability to independence and unpredictability. Life starts to happen. And as adults, we are failing to provide this next generation with safety, security, and a connection, and a belief that the future is bright. How so? Well, look at some statistics. They're staggering. Teen suicide is skyrocketing. It is now the number four cause of death for kids ages 14 to 19. And 30% of high school students, again, 30% of high school age students talk about or attempt suicide. In that same age group, depression and anxiety is skyrocketing as well. According to the CDC, Center for Disease Control, over 25 million youth have issues with anxiety, depression, which leads to behavior problems. All that should really be getting our attention. But we're just not connecting with this generation in so many ways, and we should. They want a bright, shining future, but are feeling somewhat lost and not hopeful. Here are some of their concerns that they worry about daily. 
Number one, they want mass shootings to stop. They want sensible gun safety and to feel safe everywhere they go, at school, grocery stores, theaters, places of worship, and sporting events. But they don't feel safe. A disconnect. This generation views our climate as hurling itself over a cliff. We just recorded, as an entire planet, the hottest average daily temperature ever on July 1st at 67.3 degrees Fahrenheit. Smoke from wildfires in places that should not be burning, such as northern Canada and Siberia, that smoke blankets parts of Europe and parts of the U.S. In some places, the air quality is so poor we can't even go outside. A disconnect. These kids want equality. They want the freedom of choice to choose who they want to be, make decisions about relationships, and their own health care. We are not listening. Disconnect. This generation wants to leave a legacy. They want us to be able to agree to disagree and find the grace to know we are all created equally, but we're created differently, and that is okay. Disconnect. As adults, we are letting our differences and adultness get in the way of connecting with this generation. Kids want that. They're yearning for that. This generation is all of our futures and should be our most important investment. They are our future. Teachers, doctors, lawyers, public servants, technicians, EMTs, plumbers, and so on. We need them to feel connected. The one place that can provide a sense of connection and being a part of something, feeling valued or important, is participation in sports. But even sports participation is declining for all sports, for both boys and girls, many times due to economics, lack of quality coaching, it becoming too competitive, not being accessible, and yes, because adults behaving inappropriately. It doesn't have to be that way. We can provide these kids opportunity to play, to learn, to love, to laugh, to argue, to take turns, a place that's safe, a place that satisfies that yearning for connection. So let's do this. Listen to my guest, Jennifer Novello, talk about how kids connect through sports. My guest is Jennifer Novello. She is a East Lansing area clinical social worker that uh, is here today to share her experience and talk about issues with kids and sports and her own children. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks so much for having me. Great to have you here. So you told me earlier that you've been a clinical social worker for about 25 years now. You split your degrees in 1995, one from the University of Michigan and one from Michigan State University. Tell us a little bit about that. 
just grew up in the area, was wanted to stay close to home to go to school, went to Michigan State and got an undergraduate degree in psychology. And um, after considering what I wanted to do next, because with a psychology degree, you really need to do something next if you're <laughs> going to um, practice anyways. I ended up going into clinical social work at the University of Michigan and have been practicing ever since. Ever since then. Great. You're also a mother of three. I am. What are the ages of your kids now? I've got three kids, uh, 23, 20, almost 21, and just about 18. Okay, and they all have been very active in a number of different activities, sports and soccer and dance, mm-hmm. and you yourself have dabbled in sports over the years. What was your favorite sport that you liked to play? I was a swimmer mm-hmm. when I was young, and I loved to swim. I still love to swim. I love to be in the water. Mm-hmm. Swim practice in high school is not something that I wanted to do because that was in the morning and then you had to go to school with wet hair. Mm. So I, not a good look, huh? Not a good look. So Mm. I pivoted and, uh, yeah, but then you found tennis. You told me you found some tennis. I dabbled and then I ended up playing, um, doubles in in tennis. And that was a really fun social way to, yeah. I think one of the things we both agree on is, is that, uh, just any sort of activity, whether it be sports or some sort of recreation, is so good for mental outlook. <laughs> so good in a number of ways. So it's especially good for just, um, it can improve academic outcomes for one. It does. Reduces anxiety, helps with depression. What are some of the other things that you think that just being physically active can do for the rest of us? <laughs> you took the easy answers. Um, <laughs> I mean, when you think about stress management, when you think about learning to manage your time, when you think about communication skills and interpersonal skills, all the soft skills that we use our whole life, um, working in group settings, there's just so many skills that we develop when we engage in something um, where you have to do a lot of practice. A lot of working with others. Communicating. Communicating. um, And learning to know how to exist in this body that we have. And to maintain it and to take care of it so that it can perform for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And I know mm -hmm. that that's really important for kids these days is to figure out how they do maintain their body in a healthy way. And sports and exercise can do that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we've also talked about some ways that aren't so healthy that are really affecting kids these days in regards to their self-image. Sure. And, you know, I mean, a, a few different things. If we don't listen to our body, right, we might drive our body to perform too hard. Or mm-hmm. we might learn to detach from our body and, and not be in our body. Right. Um, you can go too far on one end. It can go too far. And that can affect also your your physical health because you can be injured if you're not if you're not listening. Sure. And also your mental health too. Absolutely. Um, and you know, you do have to figure out how to manage performance anxiety, how to moderate your internal experience so mm-hmm. that you can actually do the thing that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and even figuring out like, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for me? Am I doing it for someone else? Am I doing it for fun? Am I mm-hmm. doing it? Like, why am I doing this? Right. Um, but there's a lot of pressure to achieve. Right. And so... To be successful. You've, you've shared a little mm-hmm. bit about your kids, but you, your oldest daughter, she's a dancer. She is. 
and yeah. she's in New York City. She is. Tell us she's, about her story. Uh, she actually grew up um, doing a lot of different things. She was always a physically active kid mm-hmm. and came into dance late. Um, she was playing soccer, I think, before that and was always a little cuspy on whether or not she was going to make the team. Mm-hmm. Um, she was really fast and she liked to run, but once it got physical, she wasn't so sure she wanted to do that. Get in the mix. Yeah. And then she stumbled into some dance classes and that lit her fire and she just took off from there mm-hmm. and um, really dedicated herself to dance and putting in a lot of hours. A lot of dancers start when they're little. Mm-hmm. And she came into it, you know, she had a, a, really by the time she was really um, dancing, probably fifth or sixth grade, which mm-hmm. is really late. But she graduated with a degree in dance and math. Um, <laughs> so she kind of split, but from Barnard College out in New York City. Okay. And she has been working and dancing and in the theater I ever mean, since. I could see how dance and math would go together because you have to be really calculated. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to count. Yeah. You have to be able to, that would, I could see how those could work together. Yeah. Yep. And your other two kids, now they're, they're soccer buffs. They are. Tell us about those two. Uh, my middle daughter, um, Livy, is a junior at McAllister College out in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. and she played soccer all the way up. She really is a kid who's very focused, and she knew she wanted to play soccer and loved soccer and has continued to love soccer. Mm-hmm. And um, just as she was coming up, wanted to continue to play in college and was lucky enough to have the opportunity to do that. And then your youngest is in high school. He graduates this this next month, in soon, about a week. in about a week, yeah. from East Lansing High School. That is correct. And he also plays soccer. He does. Yep. Yeah. He was a kid because of his sister who grew up on the sideline and wanted to play and, um, you know, tried. He was a kid who liked to play a lot of different things. Um, so he did the basketball, baseball, mm-hmm. soccer, kind of all things, and then ended up sticking with soccer and has really enjoyed that. And um, yeah, yeah, one of the things that I think is interesting about kids and that I'm sure you've experienced is that when they're exposed to sports, they're exposed to a variety of coaches and different techniques and different philosophies and different thoughts. And your kids have had both, as well as mine. Yeah. But I, but I want to talk to you about those coaches that have really had an impact, those that your kids are going to remember. You know, there's two people who in particular stand out. Um, one would be a woman in dance mm-hmm. who really just, I think the connection was right at the right time and she really took my older daughter under her wing and her name is Leah Siri mm-hmm. um, and she just in some ways grew up with those girls she mm-hmm. was a young 20 something and um, was starting to be a dance instructor and and a team coach and was figuring out herself and she loved dance as much as our girls did. Um, Zoe had a best friend, Rosie Arbogast, and the three of them spent a lot of hours together mm-hmm. along with many other um, Because dance is a real studio. tedious sport. It requires a lot of practice and a lot of repetition over and over to perfect, because you're perfecting something. You are. 
where in some sports you, you go for perfection, but an approximate sometimes can do well. But in dance, that's not necessarily the case. So it does yeah. require, and so I was sure they would clo- be quite close with each other. Um, and then you also had some, your other two had the good fortune of having some really good soccer coaches. Uh, they have had great soccer coaches, and I probably too many to name, um, since we're specifically your foundation supports women in athletics. Mm-hmm. I'm going to speak to Stacy DeLong, okay. who and, is just... Um, and Stacy DeLong is the former Michigan State University women's soccer coach. Uh, she was an assistant coach, assistant at, coach. at Michigan State, um, played Division One sports herself, mm-hmm. and she is affiliated with Cap City Athletics here There's in Capital City Athletics. town, mm-hmm. um, and is a soccer coach there now um, working with their little kids. She likes to coach younger kids Mm -hmm. at this point, I believe, but she's also um, one of their founding Mm -hmm. directors and Mm -hmm. and involved. But our kids came into um, her good fortune or our good fortune with her care when um, Livy was ready to transition to club sports Mm -hmm. and she met Stacy and Stacy has just been one of those people who just could see your kid and really understand how Mm -hmm. to bring out the best in her and Mm -hmm. help her to believe in herself Mm -hmm. um, and really helped her to learn that making mistakes is part of life and figuring out how to let yourself be seen and lead on a field. And you spoke um, earlier about what what is it that she specific told your daughter, I believe, to do? Because I think this is really key to our discussion. Well, I will tell you what I remember. Okay, um, you, you tell me I, what you I, remember. I was sitting at the table. My daughter may say something different. Stacy may say something different. But what I remember her saying is that what she was hoping for my daughter at every practice and game was to make mistakes mm-hmm. and that the only way that she would ever feel disappointed in her or for her would be if she wouldn't give herself permission to try things to make a mistake and to make mistakes and to learn because the way we learn is to make mistakes exactly and i think that just speaks to in general what we're talking about today is about kids and supporting them and how do you best do that? I think one is, you know, get them out, get them involved, hopefully connect with a good coach. But I think the other thing, too, that just kind of screams at me is kids need to learn how to recover from making a mistake and falling flat on their face. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. And it, it, and it will continue to happen to the best of us, um, sometimes more frequently than we would like. But I find sometimes in my experience in coaching that that's not necessarily the case sometimes and when kids are asked to do something hard then they kind of crumble into you know tears or they say they have anxiety or they can't do it or it's too hard and I think that you you have some thoughts on that I mean, it is hard, right? It's, mm-hmm. I get defensive. I mean, I think that's a pretty natural mm-hmm. experience, and we have to figure out. There's so many little skills involved with learning to take feedback, learning how to make mistakes, learning how to recover, how to 
hold ourselves through that and not just think that we're a bad person or a bad athlete or a mm-hmm. by um, you know not winning a match or not making the goal or embarrassing ourselves or feeling or, like you let the team down um, right you know those yep. kinds of things and yeah. I, those are such valuable experiences that i think especially as sometimes as parents we forget that it's a really okay to let them have that moment where they have to kind of figure it out not that you're not supporting them but they, you know they need to kind of fall on their face and and pick themselves back up i always think about how when kids are little right when they're babies and they pop into this world and mm-hmm. our job is really to protect them mm-hmm. right we mm-hmm. want to keep them alive and feed them and nurture them and they really are vulnerable in this world sure they are and then the other way that long term in life we offer protection since i don't know a way to stop bad things from happening mm-hmm. um, is that we help them to build skills right and the skills of whether that be to wait a couple of minutes before you get your cookie mm-hmm. or it be how to take feedback or to speak up for yourself or mm-hmm. to regulate your own internal experience um you know before you take a penalty kick right or something right um, one of the things that i i talk to my kids on the tennis team is to use your voice um, maybe they aren't agreeing with the score you know, both both kids or both doubles teams aren't congruent with what the score is, you need to speak up and use your voice because you've got to ask them. Or perhaps that they think, well, that shot you called out, I think is in. Um, then ask them. You have to speak up and use your voice because if you don't, no one's going to know. And it goes both ways, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. we have some kids who need to u- learn to use their voice and we have other kids who need to learn to calm internally and maybe when to let things go but we have lots of opportunities on the field or in dance or other places to learn that yes i i I have dealt with that myself um absolutely and some kids where you you need to go a different direction than using their voice because they are using it either too much or maybe you know, you hate to say, but maybe a little inappropriately. Oh, I, but that's the learning curve, right? Exactly. And this is and, one of the forms where kids get to learn. And they, and they get that feedback, I think, is really important. And I think it's important how the coach or the teacher or the counselor such as you goes about giving them that feedback by giving that to them with support, but not demeaning them and making them feel like they're lesser than. And that is the art form of feedback, I think. Mm-hmm. Um my mom um, always says that you want to pair compassion with accountability. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think about all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I always hit the right note, but it's the target I'm shooting for. Right. You know, to your point of mm-hmm. like just kids, we, none of us, I can't hear it if someone offers it in a package that is hard. No, you don't. And kids especially, they'll tune you out. They'll just literally shut their ears off. And they don't hear they don't hear a word you say, um, you know, because so you do have to and you have to know and every kid you 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 or child or adolescent um, hears things. You might say the same message to 10 kids, but 10 of them are going to hear it differently. Absolutely. Yep. It, it, it's like the the telephone game when you all sit around in a circle and you whisper something in someone's ear and you might say the original message was the moon is made of green cheese and it gets around you know the other eight kids on the other end it's 
my dog's name is Sam by the time it gets around. And so that's just the variance of what kids hear and how they view themselves. And even when we think about timing, right? Am I saying it publicly? Am I saying it privately? Am I saying it at a time where I'm too heated Mm -hmm. and I don't actually have probably good feedback to give? Or are they in a place where they can hear it? And how do we do that dance together? But again, to come back to your point, right? Kids have to learn. We as adults have to learn. And you've got a lot of opportunities for that. I think that's a good good point you make there. Um, So... When when you're talking about kids and you you know you have obviously have three children I myself and watch them grow up and participate in different you know sports or activities or clubs or things of that nature, um, what do you see now today that some of the obstacles are for kids? I know we talked a little bit earlier about post pandemic issues. What do you, what do you see? Cause I hear from, you know, a previous podcast interview that I did with, uh, Stephanie Smiley, it's called Alaska and back. If you haven't heard that one, listen, but one of the things she mentioned, and she's a high school guidance counselor is that post pandemic, she's seeing just skyrocketing anxiety and depression in kids. What do you think? What do you think about that? What, what's, what do you think? What are your thoughts? I would agree with her. I mean, we just have a lot of evidence that we have a lot of struggling humans. Um, And to, you know, to our topic, we have a lot of struggling kids and adolescents. And, you know, that's for really different reasons in different situations. But the pandemic impacted everyone. Mm -hmm. And for some kids that, um, you know, had a huge impact, maybe they lost um, someone to death, maybe they had food insecurity or financial complications. One of the big things that I see in my practice is because we spent a lot of time pulling inward Mm -hmm. and we decreased contact with the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, I work a lot with anxiety. Mm -hmm. So specifically for, for people who are already anxious, that pulling inward made getting back out into the world, Even. getting back out into dealing with people and dealing with things that we would have had a lot more practice with before. Right. So it made the, makes them even more anxious. Even more trying anxious. Trying to pull themselves out. Yeah. Because one of the things about anxiety is that we know that one of the ways we reduce anxiety is by getting used to things. It's mm-hmm. not by avoiding things. And the right. pandemic by you know, no, by I nature, mean, by it's nature, just what it, it was. It is what it is. It, it pulled us in. It and, did. And then we had groups of kids who really lost, you know, a couple of years. Right. They lost ways. academic outcomes. Scores were less. You know, uh, they've done a lot of post-pandemic studies, academic studies. And quite frankly, you know, our kids didn't fare very well. Yeah. Educational well, and that and that gets a little bit tricky, right? Because we sort of did this thing where we wanted to keep kids on track in the middle of a pandemic, and that might be a topic for a different time about yeah. whether because those are artificial. We just, from my lens, we want to help keep kids continuing to grow and to blossom. Mm-hmm. And how do we help them segue back into their life and mm-hmm. into being um, successful grownups? Right. And one of the things we talked about, or you've talked about, is that kids need to feel connect connections they need to feel a part of something and the pandemic did pull them away that but that that is one thing that you know you and I both as parents is that you know when your kids were on a team or in an activity when they felt connected and felt a part of it whether the team was winning or losing it didn't matter 
they were happy and they participated and they felt that they were, it was something bigger than themselves. Um, and I think you're right. The pandemic, unfortunately, we did what we could do to help these kids. Absolutely. And, and some kids had quite a bit of connection and other kids really did not mm-hmm. have connection. Um, you know, some kids had safety, some kids didn't have a safety. But at this point, right, what we're seeing post-pandemic is that we, we definitely are needing, um, we, we have kids who are struggling mm-hmm. in very different ways. And we have some who have started to thrive again and some who really are finding their feet and other ones who are unfortunately still struggling Right. Um, to find their way. When you talk about connectedness and safety, I know uh, that means a lot of different things, but talk about the safety part for a minute. And as you said, safety can mean a lot of different things, but you're thinking about everything from the very basic. Do I have safe housing? Do I have safe? Um, do I have enough food to eat? Right, food. Do I have adult caregivers who are home and present and available? Mm-hmm. Um, do I have... Um, transportation to go where I need to go, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do I have emotional safety? Mm-hmm. Do I feel someone like there's someone to. I can talk to, people who listen to me, that if I have a problem, I can, you they know, can validate they can my experience. Help me figure it out. Yes. Right. Yeah. Also, I'm curious too, because I think the pandemic did increase anxiety and depression from what I've talked to you and talked to some other people in the health professional field, or the mental health field. Um, I experienced, uh, recently where I'm running, running drills at tennis and the kids, it's too hard. And I had a group of about five, a few weeks ago that just, I'm anxious. I'm anxious. I'm anxious. It makes me too anxious. I can't do this. I'm having a panic attack. I mean, talk about anxiety because anxiety can mean a lot of different things, but that's what kids think it is. If it gets a little stressful, it's anxiety. It could be worry, it could be pressure, it could be some other things, but they go right to the anxiety, right to the bullseye, when really it's, they're just a little stressed because I asked them to do something hard. You know, tease that out a little bit. Tease it out, okay. Um, and I think that's probably for me when I listen to you, the question, right? Because mm-hmm. you on the outside may or may not know what's happening for them on the inside. Correct. And they may or may not know what's happening on the inside. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we use words my husband would say that words matter. They do. Um, it's taken me a long time to learn that because <laughs> I, I, but they do be, matter to be really specific because mm-hmm. they matter. And so if we use a word like love, what are we actually talking about? Mm-hmm. Right. There's a thousand kinds of love. Right. If we say something like anxiety, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Does that mean that I'm feeling nervous about taking a test? Does it mean that I don't know what's going to happen when I go to school. Does it mean that my heart is racing and mm-hmm. my stomach is clenched and I feel like I'm going to vomit? Mm-hmm. Like there, There's so many different things that that word can mean. And one of the benefits of social media is that we have a lot of talking about this and mm-hmm. we have a lot of education that's happening for kids and, and others online. One of the downsides is that Sometimes we're overgeneralizing that right. and, and not being very specific. And About where that kid is at the moment, because maybe they had a really stressful day at school. And that asking them to run that last sprint was just pushing them over the edge. It's like, I can't do one more thing today. Yeah. Or maybe um, it's a kid where they just aren't sure. They don't, they don't like to be in pressure situations. 
and putting them in a pressure situation where they have to run and do it in a certain time and they have to do it again as in running sprints as any team does whether it's tennis basketball softball volleyball track it's part of the sport doing things under pressure in practice helps you in competition and sometimes kids just don't like that and sometimes they don't and sometimes they don't have a skill set to work through that Mm -hmm. because we don't always know what's going on for each and every individual kid or we don't know what's going on right and what might be their own barrier Mm -hmm. to being able to do that in a way and and i think it can be deceiving right you can have kids who are easily able to run the sprints and they may be anxious and you may not even know it that's true and you may have kids who stop and say i can't do it Mm -hmm. um and their different anxiety points or the things that are are mm-hmm. causing that sense of nervousness on the inside, right, may show up differently. So do you think that, um, so anxiety um, can mean a lot of different things, as you've said, but I think maybe we look at it as when, when the anxiety starts to interfere with their ability to do something, then it's a problem. I think that's a fair definition. Is that fair? I think so. I mean, when we think about it clinically, mm-hmm. we think about the duration, the intensity, the frequency. We think about people's, how much it impacts their functioning mm-hmm. in daily life, to your point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if we think about anxiety, everyone has anxiety. Oh, it's, we, it's normal. It's the human it's condition. It is just a part of life. Because a little anxiety kind of keeps you going. Well, even if you look at performance, right, whether it be on testing, it be in athletics, Mm -hmm. we know that some amount of activation in your system is really helpful to performance. Mm -hmm. It's only if your system overloads on it that it actually So what would be some things you would see in a person that has too much anxiety and it's overloading their system? Um, you could see a lot of different things, but one of the things that you might see to your point is avoidance. Avoidance. They avoidance. Just, yeah. They like, yeah, they don't want to do it. They just, I'm not doing that. And it may be that they shut down physically. It mm-hmm. may be that they stop talking. It may be that they don't want to come back to practice. Mm-hmm. It may be that they don't try something new. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be that they don't speak up and say no. So it's a kid who always is a yes. Mm-hmm. Um, those kids who are very, very helpful mm-hmm. and you can always count on them as a coach. Mm. Sometimes that's a way it hides. To hide their anxiety. Well, it's really hard to speak up to a grown up and to say, I don't have time to do that or to set a limit around what I'm capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you, you can see it show up in a lot of different ways and sometimes it really does hide in our high achievers or in our, you know, um, kids who are very, very helpful. Oh, that's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought about it that way. So what does, the the other question I have is, doesn't anxiety kind of mirror depression? Don't you kind of have one or the other or both? Or does it go back and forth? I think that that's a, that's a fairly artificial description of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could think of them like cousins. Okay. You know, they're connected, they're related. Mm -hmm. Um, You may have some symptoms that are more activating, but if we stay activated for a long period of time, Mm -hmm. right, sometimes our system bottoms out and And, we crash. And you're depressed. And we become become more depressed. Um, 
And sometimes if we end up avoiding things in our life, we withdraw from people or from activities, we start to lose some connection or purpose or meaning. Mm-hmm. Then Going back up- to the importance of kids needing to feel connected in a part of something that can help them yeah work through some of that sure and if we get so far removed right then we don't feel great about our life and we may end up feeling more depressed hence the pandemic that just really put the brakes on life for a lot of people it did and you know and some kids truthfully with a time out really ended up feeling a lot of relief and Mm -hmm. some of them got some chances to try things or to do things in a different way that actually ended up helping them to Mm -hmm. settle more into who they are and maybe return in a different way Mm -hmm. um, and maybe in some more helpful ways and you know for other kids it really it really didn't pan out that way yeah and I think a lot of it is the kind of learner that they were too like I could have seen that really working for my oldest and youngest but my middle child that would not have been a, an effective tool to learn online for him. He was much more didactic, have to be in the motor, motor oriented, you know, connecting that way with people. I think you raised some really good, good points, especially for us that do work with kids, those that are coaches, that you do have to be mindful of the type of kid you have, the moment that they're in, the things that they are dealing with on and off the, the court or the field and be respectful of their space which I try to be, you know, you try to read that. You can't be perfect. You don't read them all. Well, and truthfully, you know, you can't be a mind reader, right? Right. So we hope that kids find their voice, although that's hard and probably a stretch to figure Mm -hmm. out. You know, when I listened to your first podcast, you talked about going back to practice after Mm -hmm. learning about your sister, right? right? Right. And to think that to expect a 14-year-old to use her voice to share that news would have been an awful lot to ask of a 14-year-old. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I at that point in time in my life, I, I, I just was lost. I really honestly had no words. And so if you translate that to other kids, right? I mean, as you said, some kids are really have a high skill level for talking, and, and maybe it is even relieving to talk. Mm-hmm. And other kids may look just fine, and they really may not be fine. Exactly. Exactly. And I think what one of the things that can usher in some of those issues is putting them in pressure type situations such as a sport since some of those those how they deal with life and their their personality will bubble up. Absolutely. And you think about even how some kids, you know, I remember back in high school we had a I had a friend whose mom died and from the outside what it looked like is mm-hmm. he really channeled himself into athletics and academics Mm -hmm. right and at the time I didn't think much of it but as an adult I have to wonder if that wasn't a way that he continued to find a sense of safety and structure and connection and just focus about something that was meaningful that let him take his mind off absolutely that was so the issue with me for tennis I that was my outlet that was my structure that was just so meaningful for me that got me through an extremely difficult time in my life yeah and other kids right they might be having a hard time and they might really have a drop in performance they might start missing practices Mm -hmm. and you know I think one of the things I've learned as a parent is and I'm sure my clinical work comes in as well but but really in parenting is that 
you know, just because a kid looks disinterested or they look like they're not trying or they look like they're not giving up full effort, there might be something beyond on the surface. And Mm -hmm. especially if it's somebody who was previously connected and now you're seeing a change. Mm-hmm. to stop as an adult and really wonder what's, what's this change what's about going on with them rather than thinking that they don't care. Yeah. And you know, I have done that with some of my kids and, and, and I don't know, maybe this is the right way to do it, but I, I can remember, you know, last week I had a conversation cause I did notice one of the girls was just, and I just said, I go, what's going on with you today? What's in your head? And, you know, she had shared with me that it, she just, you know, didn't do well on an exam and had other stuff. It was just kind of overwhelmed with homework. And, you know, she was just not her usual self. And, you know, you try to at least reach out the best you can, but you, you can't solve all the problems, but at least you can make an effort to make them feel more connected or at least know, make them know that you care about them enough to, you know, that they're not doing what they normally do. Yeah. And, and it really is, in our humanness, right? I don't show up my best every day. You don't? don't But you know, I try. (laughs) And so one of the opportunities we have as adults, but I think coaches really, you know, your job is to help them to perform. Mm -hmm. But when I think about it for their long life, how do we help them accept that they're going to have some good days and bad days? Mm -hmm. How do Mm -hmm. we help them navigate that so that if they show up in one mindset can they learn to transition into a more helpful space right and what do we do when we fall flat on our face and it just goes badly right right Right. because it will yeah i I do i do talk to my kids about that um uh that you know it's it's you do you you're gonna fall flat but that's okay and even you know as kids come off the tr- court say for instance they they like to use the term bageled they lose six oh six oh it's the term and what do you say to that kid you know they're just they're crushed they they, they, they just you know didn't play well or they've lost to someone that's really really good and I don't ever talk about the score I I say to them okay what did you learn from this match what do you what did you learn that you could work on to be a better player and it's it's not a matter of you losing um how do you go how do we go forward you know because you're part of the team you're an important part of the team we don't go forward unless we go forward as a team you know so that's kind of my approach to take the the look away from the loss of losing and not winning a game in any set to all right, I can, there, I, I, you know, coach, I need to get my first serve in. Or, you know, I, I made too many silly, you know, unforced errors on my forehand, you know, and kind of engage them in a conversation that's aside from what happened. Because I think that's what you have to do with yourself when something doesn't work out. So hopefully, you know, in coaching or reaching out to these kids, somewhere along the line, you know, maybe, and I try to relate it to a work situation, or I'm going to tell them, you know, somewhere on the line, you're going to have a project that fell completely flat on its face. And you're going to have to meet with your team and figure out how to fix it. You know, and I think about different things. You're talking about tennis. When I think about dance, you know, one of the things that I think I heard Leah say repetitively was to just keep going. Right. Right. You just keep going. And sometimes, truthfully, 
other people don't notice. Exactly. So what we feel on the inside, right, we imagine that everybody can see on the outside. Everybody's looking at me, especially teenagers. Yes. They think that they're, they, well, they kind of are with social media, but they, they feel like they're under a microscope. Everybody's watching. Everybody's looking at me. Everybody saw that. And anxiety makes us feel that even more. Mm-hmm. And if we don't feel good about what we're doing, we feel it even more, right? It gets compounding. And so that notion of just keep going, right? And just if you going. don't make a big deal out of it, truthfully, probably other people may not notice and they may not make a big deal out of it either. Exactly, exactly. And when I think about, you know, Stacy DeLong used to say, girl, so my daughter was on a team. They got put in a, an upper league that they probably shouldn't have been in. Mm-hmm. They were losing games by like zero to 14. Like right. they were just getting killed. And it was a whole season because it's not a match. Right. Like in tennis, right. Like yeah. it was a whole season. Yeah. I, I've, I've sat through those seasons with my kids as well. And she used to say, you know, right, we are going to play our game. Mm-hmm. Like we just need to, we need to regroup and we need to play our game. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. Yep. If we go out there and we play our game, regardless of what happens, then we've done a good job. That's exactly what I tell my girls. Let's do what we do well. Let's get our serves in. You have good ground strokes. Let's do what we do well. Make them make the mistake. And, you know, even though knowing that we're going to go in and probably not win a match with some of these bigger schools, but I think I think that lets them know that I just want effort and I want them to try and I want them to know that no matter the outcome, we do, we keep going. Well, we keep and, going. and we're not always going to be the best, right? I no. mean, there's mm-hmm. a big difference. There's very few times that probably in our life where we are the best mm-hmm. and we're often not the worst. Right. Right. Usually we're in the middle somewhere. Right. And figuring out how to be good enough, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Right. To be able to do whatever we want to do in the world. Exactly. And is really all we have to do. Yeah. One of the things we haven't really touched on much um, is social media and how that plays into kids today. It's tough. It is hard. I mean, because everything is out there on social media. TikTok, my, my mistakes YouTube. did not get carried forward in time. No. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've said this before. You know, I can't imagine being a teenager today and being somewhere and say, you know, whether you're in a sport and you just shot a free throw and missed the entire basket or you're walking down the sidewalk and you trip and fall flat on your face somewhere, somebody's got a camera on that and it's on social media. Yeah. And and that doesn't contribute to kids' anxiety and worry because they feel like they're being watched all the time. It would contribute to mine. It certainly would with me. I mean, the other thing, right, is that we have a lot of curated social media. So we have a lot of images about what we should be or what we think other people are. Good point. And it creates really unrealistic ideas about what it means, you know, what we need to be. Like exactly like body image, what we should look like, what we should wear, how we should walk. All the things. How we should talk, who we should hang around with. When we're not hanging around with people, right? If we are home and we see other people out, Mm -hmm. what does that mean about me, Mm. right? And before, if I would have been home, even if my friends would have been hanging out, I wouldn't have known. Right. I, I mean, you hear no you're home and then you see a bunch of your friends out. Um, say, for instance, they're, you know, out doing some social bowling, you know, group of friends and you're at home. And you think, well, I didn't get invited. 
I still you get didn't... feeling jealous as an adult. I'm like, wait, you all went out to dinner? How come I didn't go? Yeah. I mean, I think, right? Like, well, jealousy sure. gets a bad rap, but it's a really normal, natural feeling. But when we're in our own life and we are just living in our moment, right? Mm-hmm. I could be having a lovely night at home and that could get interrupted and disrupted. Exactly. Sure. And so if you think about, right, there's lovely things about social media. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually, there's so many good educators and people who are doing great work to give us access to information and to um, voices that mm-hmm. are underrepresented, maybe even in our own lives mm-hmm. or that we have access to, or, you know, that need to that are bringing forth really valuable information, but it is pulling us out of the moment and out of our life in ways. And oftentimes when we're connected to ourselves and we're connected to our people and in our life, right. We just feel better. Right. We do. Kids. I, you know, I've said this so many times, they need to feel connected. They need to feel supported. They need to feel a part of something. And when they feel a part of something and valued, makes such a difference in their life. Yep. It really does. I mean, the other thing that I would say about that is we know that really what kids need, we all need, is to find enough in life that makes it meaningful Mm -hmm. and that when we are living in alignment with ourselves and we have enough sense of meaning, Mm Mm-hmm. We really see people thrive. We do. We do. And, you know, that does not make take away from genetic issues or predispositions that we have to depression or anxiety or anything else. But we do see outcomes that are better for people when they're connected and they have a sense of purpose. Absolutely. That is so true. I've said this before, too, but, you know, I'm going to put my physical therapy hat on here. You know, I could have two patients with the same injury and one with a really supportive family feeling really connected and another without well guess which one's going to have the better outcome it's the one that feels connected and has the support yeah. versus and, the one and, and i've seen that mental health and times. physical health absolutely yes absolutely is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you'd like to add to our conversation You know, I guess I would just say that for people who are, when you care about somebody, right, checking in on them Mm -hmm. and doing that, going that step to ask, Mm -hmm. right, like what's going on? What's going on with you today? You notice that they're not quite, they're they're the same self that they usually are. Because the only thing I know that's worse than struggling is struggling alone. Oh, Yes. And it really matters when we feel seen and we feel heard. And that does not mean that we solve people's problems for them. It It means that we show up and we care care and we listen and we ask. And, um, you know, everybody that is going to listen to your podcast, I imagine, knows people and would have the ability to ask and check in. Just ask and check in. So at the end of every podcast... You know, the name is, do I need my racket? Okay. And I always ask my guests what their racket is. It can mean anything. It's metaphorical. 
So, Jennifer, if I ask you what your racket is, what would you tell the rest of us that are listening today? Well, for me, it was purpose and meaning. That's what my, my racket represented to me and still does. And, you know, it's funny. The first thing that popped into my head was my people. It's connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that in you. Connection. Because that's kind of the theme that we've been talking about this whole time is feeling connected, valued, and a part of something. I really, it's just sort of baked into who I am. But I also, you know, it's, it's funny when people who know me well will tell you that if, if I leave and go alone... Mm-hmm. then they're worried about me. Okay. Because I don't do that very often. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you like to be connected. I have a high value for connection. Okay. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing this information. I think that listeners will find it insightful and hopefully helpful. And I look forward to speaking with you in the future. It's been a very, very pleasurable experience. Thank you. If you or a family member is suffering from mental health issues, there are people available to help, to connect with you. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255, or you can text 741-741. People are available to help 24 hours a day. Let's set aside our differences and quit letting our adultness interfere with connecting to this next generation. They are smart, talented, creative, thoughtful, and they want to believe the future is bright. We can provide opportunities to connect through sports, and it does a lot of great things. It can ease depression, decrease anxiety, improve mood, improve sleep quality, It can help them make healthier lifestyle choices. It can assist in even improving academic outcomes. It can help improve communication skills. And it helps with feeling connected, a part of something to be free, to be valued and feel important. And when this generation growing up feels connected, a part of something, all our futures will shine brightly. That piano version of You Are My Sunshine is by Riandi Kusumo, available on Spotify. Thanks also to Tudor Big Big Sound and Lighting for producing and editing this podcast, and thanks to all of you for listening. For more information about In Her Name Foundation, visit our website at inhernamefoundation.org. Join us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our newsletter or make a donation. We look forward to meeting all of you again and sharing our next episode of Inspiration. Until then, see you next time, and be prepared to bring your racket.